You're listening to Good to Grow, a podcast for budding green thumbs. We'll dig into the fun, frustration, and science of growing your own food and flowers in Alberta. For even more tips, join our Facebook community, AMA Good to Grow. Hi, I'm Sandra Speronis, and welcome to the third episode of Good to Grow. Alberta is a geographically diverse province. Our province has mountains, our province has prairies, our province has badlands, even dry desert-like grasslands where you can find cactus. Those who live near Brooks and Medicine Hat will know what I'm talking about. With all that diversity in Alberta, does that mean we as gardeners need to take different approaches to growing flowers, vegetables, and fruit? Not necessarily. Robert Spencer is a horticultural consultant from Stettler. He's the owner of Spencer Horticultural Solutions. His company specializes in everything from crop production to advice for home gardening. Welcome to Good to Grow, Robert. Thanks. It's good to be here. As a gardener, I know it's important to know which growing zone you are in, and there are a variety of growing zones across the province from 0B in the north to 4B in the south. What are the main differences between these zones? It's really made up of a combination of climatic factors. It relates to how cold the winters get, drying conditions, so temperature and precipitation together. It can relate to, you know, there can be influence from your municipality and your the urban heat island around you. So, I mean, it's a, it's a whole combination of factors. So, I mean, you can find pockets that are uh, ranked as a higher hardiness zone or growing zone than another, even though there may, may be further north than somewhere. Like for, say, for example, where I live in East Central Alberta, I can be, you know, a, a lower zone number than, say, Edmonton area. Or it's kind of funny how you can see that. So, but really what it does is it relates to, gives you a sense of how plants, what types of plants to look for, how hardy they need to be. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a little bit mystical, not as easy and cut and dried because there can be other local factors that can affect what you can grow in that area. But as an, and as an idea, it gives you an overview of you know, what you should be looking for when you're trying to pick perennial type plants. When you're looking at annuals, you should be looking at it sort of different factors. But as perennials, that's why we tend to look at growing zones and, and hardiness zones. Which zones are most conducive to growing vegetables? Well, you can grow vegetables in any of the zones, really. It just, as I said, the hardiness zones relate to how tough is it to grow and, and survive year after year. So in an annual plant, you can grow in any of those zones. It's just your growing season will be different in terms of the length of the growing season. So um, you'd be looking at, you know, what's your frost free period? When's your last spring frost, your first full frost, and what's the time in between that? That's really what affects what vegetables you can grow. But again, you can you can influence that artificially with your where you're at and in the specific micro location around there. You can also find that, you know, places you think, well, you know, somebody way up north in the piece would be able to grow less vegetables than somebody down in central Alberta. But that's not really the case They because of their extended days. And, you know, they got a really concentrated summer. They can grow stuff almost just as well as we can because they've got longer days and, and things. So it's quite, quite interesting. So you really need to pay attention to what you've got locally. And from an annual perspective, you just figure out how long does it going to take for that individual variety or cultivar to grow in that time. So how long is it going to take to mature? So that's, that's a different story. Gotcha. If I'm growing plants like tomatoes, do I have to do something different if I'm living up in high level compared to down in Milk River? Yeah, probably. I mean, you're going to probably need to choose ones that are going to mature earlier. So you're going to pick ones that are a little bit more determinate. That means that they, they don't kind of grow infinitely. Uh, an, an indeterminate plant wants to grow and grow and grow and grow. 
And so they don't tend to settle down into serious ripening and maturing than compared to a determinate type. But so you pick something that's going to maybe have a lower yield, but it'll tend to ripen sooner. So there are varieties that are going to be listed at, I don't know, say 75 days. You might also recognize that maybe the later frosts are going to mean that you're, you're going to have to wait a little bit longer to get out there, or you're going to have to put some protections around the plants, artificially create warmer environments and protect them. Whereas somebody down south maybe can get away with putting their stuff out without any type of protection earlier, and they've got a longer season to grow in. Somebody up north might be able to fudge that a little bit by playing around with uh, with what they how they grow that. But you're, you are you anybody everybody has to pay attention to that to how long it takes for something to grow, the days to maturity, time for it's gonna, how long it's going to take to ripen up. So, I mean, I do the same thing here as I would do for somebody in, in Edmonton or in Grand Prairie or high level. You look in and say, okay, well, this one's going to take a lot longer. It's it's a big, you know, a big beefsteak tomato. It's going to take a long time to get a good-sized fruit, and it's going to take a long time to ripen. Whereas, you know, maybe I'm going to stick with cherry tomatoes. They're going to be quicker, and I'm going to have more more little fruit quick. Right. So, Are there any yeah. tricks that you can use to gain some growing time? Well, I mean, obviously, transplants are the are the main one. But, I mean, with something like tomatoes, you're going to have to grow from transplants. You can never seed from seed outside just because you need six to eight weeks of growing to get a plant that's big enough to transplant. So if you start from seed in the garden, you know, by the time it warms up enough for it to start growing properly, by the time you'll never get any production off of that. So starting with transplants is one way. Um, you can put covers on, you know, do greenhouses. You can do any number of individual plant covers or I use a thing. I don't know if it's it's a wall of water and it's, it's basically a little circular wall ring of, it's a ring of plastic tubes that I fill with water and then it sort of insulates um, from the cold. And so I was able to put stuff out when we did have that big dip, sudden dip this spring. I had plants out a little bit prematurely maybe, and but they were all covered with these things and it, it kept them warm enough that they didn't freeze. But there, there's different things you can do, but a, a lot of times it comes to modifying the, the temperature around the, the air temperature around the plant, protecting it to a certain amount. Sometimes you just gotta, you gotta wait. There's nothing you can do. Like that only goes so far, like a few degrees. But, um, if you have things in pots, you can move things in and out. That's an option. Growing in containers is a, is a good option these days. Right. And, uh, lot, lots of choices. And, you know, if you've got a garage or you've got a, the ability to move stuff in and out quickly, it's labor intensive. It's cumbersome, but it's certainly an option. It's exercise. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If you look at it that way, look at it, you know, the, it's a means to an end and it certainly gets you there. Right. Um, are there plants or veggies that gardeners should avoid depending on where in the province they live? I mean, certainly those warm season vegetables like the tomatoes, peppers, eggplants, some of those you'd want to watch some of the, there's some that are probably going to be a little bit tougher to get any sort of maturity off. Some of the vine crops like the cucurbits are typically okay. You may not get, you know, maximized yield. I wouldn't grow anything like watermelon or anything. It can be done. Don't get me wrong. It can be done. But the further north, like if you have a shorter season, you'd want to, you know, manage your expectations a little bit and, and sort of live without that. Otherwise, I mean, you can grow pretty much, you know, probably pretty much every vegetable, just as you're looking at some of the warm season ones, ones that won't grow below you know, 5, 10, or 15 degrees Celsius, consider that, you know, it's going to take some time to, to get you there. Right. Uh, corn, corn is one of those ones that's kind of hit and miss. You can grow corn in a lot of places, but you're going to have to expect that they don't grow below 10. And, and so sometimes it's going to be, you're going to have disappointment. I personally have tried to grow corn a couple of times in the almost 20 years I've lived where I live. And 
and I had corn the first year and it kind of destroyed all my logic and I and I tried it again and again and it because I had a great crop one year and then everything after that it just never happened and so I finally just gave up. But it just I just rarely get enough heat to to get them to to mature off even the shorter maturing ones. That I mean you can always give it a try. There's and there's I mean if you know if you take a look at the crop that you want to grow and figure out what does it need, then you can look at ways to to get there. So you know if it needs warmer soils, if it needs warmer air, is there ways that I can modify the, the environment around it to gain a, a week or two weeks of growing? And um, there are ways to do it. It just sometimes it's going to take a little bit extra effort. You have to tinker here and there before you get the right recipe. Oh, yeah, sure. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. But you never want to kind of give up necessarily. But some stuff, you know, you're going to have to, you know, understand what you're getting into and, and know what, what you have to do to make that successful. Right. Like we're never going to grow avocados Outside in Alberta, right? Oh, no. Yeah, no. Like, and like, I mean, when we're talking annual vegetables, that's one thing. And then you're looking at other, other things, like when you get into the fruit trees and things, yeah, there's some things you just have to accept that we just don't have the season for it. And there's reasons it grows in certain places in the world and that's it. But there's lots of other choices and you can find alternatives and substitutes that will work. And if you're willing to do your homework, you can totally be successful growing you know, lots of really interesting and delicious things in your garden. Because you don't, you don't even have to think, I have to grow anything edible in the garden and everything else is ornamental. Your garden beds and your yard can be full of, of stuff that can be a mix of edible and ornamental. Mm-hmm. Why not? It's growing space, right? So, How did you get into gardening, Robert? Uh, you know, I, my mom's a, a great gardener. My dad actually is too. Uh, it's funny, he never really got into it until you know, probably in the last decade or so. But my grandparents, uh, I spent a lot of time with some, one of my maternal grandparents, and they were always gardening and pointing out things, and, and I spent a lot of time, and they'd show me the plants and um, point out the trees and point out the birds and things, and, and I just kind of got into that, and, and I just, you know, I just really enjoyed it, and then when I went to university, I decided to, you know, I, I chose agriculture as a study and then horticulture as a major, and, and I just kind of grew from there, and, you know, here we are decades later and I still recognize those roots. I still exchange plants with my mom and I have a little raised box planter that I've made that I call grandma's garden. And it's it's a little box that has the same plant every year that grandma always used to grow in her little bed in front of her house that I always remember. So I always always plant one every year. Oh that's so, so sweet. What yeah, kind of well, plants do you um exchange with your mom? I had quite a few lupins for a while and so I, I shared some seeds with her and it turned out they were they're multicolored because I had some purples and I had some pinks, and now I have some mixed ones that are kind of a purpley pink. And we've shared. Um, I actually have some Iceland poppies from my grandma's house that I that have kind of made their way around the family, and because they seed, and so we have them here and there in the yard. And they came. The originals came from grandma's house. You know, we've shared. I've shared strawberry plants, that kind of thing, and I'm hoping to get some back from her because I I shared all mine and I don't have them anymore, and now I want that variety back. So, <laughs> I told her to collect a few for me, and I'll pick some this summer. Nice. Um, since you live in Stettler in East Central Alberta, is there anything that you're finding or growing that's been successful because of that region? Uh, no, I can't say there's anything particularly unique that we're trying out here. I mean, it's fairly dry, and our soils aren't terribly great, but I've had, you know, I'm able to grow the stuff that I, li- I like to grow. Um, I don't grow a huge number of vegetables. I, I grow the ones that I like. But no, there's nothing particularly unique to this area that I would say that we're doing it right here. I mean, we have quite a lot of different things growing. We we have a community orchard that has, I don't know, 30 some varieties of fruit, but none of them are anything that you couldn't grow almost any area in Alberta. 
Right. What are you growing in your own garden? I've got, you know, onions and carrots and spinach and potatoes. And I've got a couple little greenhouses with tomatoes and peas and beans and zucchini and cucumbers and stuff. I'm growing Brussels sprouts this year. I'm giving them another try. And I've got kale, but it's for the dog. So. <laughs> <laughs> for the dog? Yeah. It's part of his diet, I guess. So. Okay. <laughs> Are there but any tricks I'm, to... I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm growing it in, in in a covered greenhouse that has like fabric on it instead of plastic. So it keeps the bugs off. Are there any tricks to growing Brussels sprouts in Alberta? I don't know a lot of people who are trying those. Um, well, some of the market gardeners do a really good job of that. But, um, you know, they, they take longer. They're certainly a longer season. So you're going from a transplant for sure. And I found every other time I've grown them, they just take, they just, they get full of worms and, and crud. So this year I'm, I'm growing them. I'm going to probably stake them so they stay upright. And, I'm, and I've got them entirely encased in this little fabric greenhouse that should keep the, the worms off them. And the early worms that I caught that happened to be out early, I picked them off and there aren't any more on there. So I'll just keep an eye on them. And, and, but I, I think it's just all about time. And uh, they take quite a long time to mature. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I'm giving it a try. I never really liked Brussels sprouts before. So I'm giving them another, another go. And they're really neat to watch to grow just to see them the little sprouts start in every in every axle of every leaf right they look wild the first time i saw a whole bunch of them like on a i don't know a vine a branch i was like that's how they grow be a stalk yeah no yeah they're like they're a stalk and so yeah you see a whole stalk like it looks like some sort of medieval club and um but yeah they're they're quite interesting that the the brassicas like all all the the coal crops are really interesting because they're all really closely related, but they all modify slightly. You know, the kohlrabi is an alien and the Brussels sprouts are, mm-hmm. you know, the way they are. And broccoli and cauliflower are all very, very closely related. They're kind of all neat to grow. And they all grow well here. Like you can grow them all pretty much anywhere. We sort of talked a little bit about fruits already, but let's say, um, let's talk about grapes. Um, would there be a region of the province where it's possible to grow them? I mean, theoretically, you can you could probably grow them almost anywhere. They need lots of heat. They need a long season. Um, but really what they need is protection. So, I mean, a lot of people look at Medicine Hat and say, Ooh, you know, that's the, you know, the heat units wise, we've got so many heat units there. And that's just because it gets hotter and thin in that corner and they have a long season. But what the people forget is that grapes are perennial and, and they, they need to be protected. And it also gets colder than and anything in medicine hat in the winter and it can go up and down quite a bit and so with anything with grapes i mean i know people that are growing grapes in Sherwood park quite extensively and have quite a lot of varieties and so with growing grapes you would need to make sure that you're finding the right location that you're careful to put them in the right spot so they're protected and so they're able to come through the winter and then varietal selection is really important because you're not going to be able to grow the the wine grapes or any of those types of things you will have to pick a northern hardy type grape. So, the, but there are some good selections out there. If you're going digging, looking for types, uh, there's information on in Minnesota where there's been quite a lot, number of ones that are that give you some options. And they will. We have ones in our community orchard that are surviving. We just don't protect them, but they don't fruit because they don't ever come quite far enough through the winter to do it. But we don't ever bury them or, or bury them or, or cover them or anything. We just let them be. But I know people in my town that do have grapes. So you could do it anywhere, You, but you'd probably on your house where there's a bit of a heat island and they're a little bit more, so it's artificial almost, um, you'd probably want to drop them in the winter and to protect them. Can you talk a little bit more about um, 
these heat islands, I think. Uh, I, I use that term, like there's a term called urban heat island, but I, really what I'm meaning is, is a microclimate. So, you know, there's, there's always a little bit of heat leak from foundations and from, from your house. So there's always, that's always going to change how, you know, it's artificially going to make a sort of microclimate around your house. So right next to the foundation, you'll, you just watch this. Go for a walk in the spring and you'll see snow patches in different spots. And you'll see right up along a foundation, you'll see stuff where it's certain exposures, it'll warm quicker and it'll be a little bit different than, you know, maybe two, three weeks ahead of some other spot or even a week ahead or whatever. So within a city, you're going to get all of that just from the urban activity. You're going to get some heat. And so it's going to be a little bit different. But even right around your house, you'll have this microclimate. And I mean, in a garden, you're going to try to recreate that with finding ways to warm the soil, warm the air around the plants or that kind of thing but you kind of have that artificially a little bit around your home. So you pick your spot based on how does the light hit? You know, how well does it get protected from wind? What's the moisture like in that area? You know, sort of map your yard out and realize that there's way big, there's big differences in and around your yard. And so you can find spots that will work. And that's when, so when I'm thinking of a heat island or an urban island, it's more about the, recognize the influence of sort of the urban activity on the way things grow in your space. It doesn't change it entirely, but it can certainly have an effect. And so that's why you were saying earlier Edmonton might be in a different growing zone than someone just like town or yeah. east of us. Well, or- well, well, yeah, Edmonton has always had a bit of a, like I grew up in Saskatchewan and, you know, we always looked at Edmonton a little bit of men because they were like a good half zone better than us in that sense. So they did have, I mean, it, it, it's not just to do with the urban activity. I mean, there can be, you know, all of the other climatic things like, you know, there's a river that runs through it. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's some other factors that can affect climatic zones and, and hardiness zones. But, you know, a big municipality inside of a city is going to be potentially a different. If you watch the weather and weather forecasts, you know, the Edmonton Airport, you know, Edmonton International Airport versus downtown versus in Albert or Sherd Park or something, or Calgary versus, you know, South Calgary versus North, there's going to be differences within the city. You know, just recognize that they're not, you know, it's not just I live here and it, that's that's what I've got. It's, it may be a little bit different. So it sounds like you mentioned earlier, gardening is a learning thing. You have to watch the weather and watch what your plants mm-hmm. are doing. And it's a yeah, but full-time you know activity. What? Enjoy the journey. Like I, grow, I plant stuff and I screw up all the time. Like, honestly, I have forgotten to harvest stuff or I've been too late on things and I or I've been you know I pushed it too long or I put stuff out too too early like last year I thought oh, I have these little greenhouses I'll put my tomatoes out three four weeks early I was just way early and I was just excited and then they froze and it didn't matter I had them covered they still it just got too cold so you screw up but you know what I enjoyed the learning I enjoyed the journey and I enjoy the, the growing as much as I enjoy the eating of what I've produced some cases I'm growing stuff that I don't even like to eat. I mean, only one row, but you know, I don't like radishes, but I grew radishes this year. <laughs> they, come up so, they come up so fast and they're so satisfying to see that something came up, right? And so, so just enjoy the journey. I mean, you know, you're not always going to get it right. You know, weather happens, things happen, but you know what? Enjoy what you've done with it and then tweak it and start again. One way to learn from things you don't forget, because you can keep doing the same mistakes over and over, is to keep a record and keep a, a journal of you know, what you did every day in the garden. What was the weather like? highs, lows, precipitation, wind, and keep track. And so you can know what went right and what went wrong and what you can change to, you know, how can you mitigate risk, that kind of thing. Great words of advice. Thank you, Robert, for joining us on Good to Grow. You bet. Robert Spencer is the owner of Spencer Horticultural Solutions in Stetler. 
You can learn more about him and read his blog at spencer-hort-solutions.ca. Growing your own food or flowers? Drop us a line at goodtogrow@ama.ab.ca. We might feature you in a segment we call The Plot Thickens. For this segment, we want to hear about your garden, whether you live in Zone 0 or Zone 3 in Alberta. We want to know what you're growing, what gardening means to you, or any questions you might have about growing food and flowers in Alberta. In this installment of The Plot Thickens, we meet a community gardener in Edmonton. My name is Nico, and I'm the mother of four children. Uh, I have three daughters, one son, and I'm many things. <laughs> I'm a gardener, I'm a teacher, I'm a doula, I'm like a community organizer. Here I have garlic, and then there's dill and cilantro, carrots, beets, beans, kale, um, Swiss chard, tomatoes. Then I also have an eggplant, and I have some cabbages and some mint in the back. Yeah, I think that's all for this plot, but um, I also have two other garden plots in, <laughs> in the neighborhood. Yeah, so I've gradually expanded, you know, like um, wherever I could, you know, find some gardening space. Basically, I took it. My father used to be a huge gardener, so he had a big garden like in our front yard but then also he had another one on a separate property so I think the roots have been planted early I just was never now I wish I had learned more from him and but at the time I had no interest in it so it's really been kind of growing over the years with opportunities here around the neighborhood for me it's like a summer meditation you know that's like what I do often in the mornings like when it was really hot I took the cool early morning hours and I came here and I watered and it's just satisfying and connects you to the earth somehow so it's this back to the roots feeling somehow doing something really simple and fulfilling and then you know if you eat your own vegetables they they taste so much better and you know what went into them basically like water and sunshine right <laughs> thanks Nico Share your gardening adventures or questions with us, and you might be featured in an upcoming installment of The Plot Thickens. Send an email or voice recording to goodtogrow at ama.ab.ca. Thanks for listening to AMA's Good to Grow podcast. I'm Sandra Speronis. Happy gardening! Good to Grow is produced by the Alberta Motor Association. If you enjoyed this episode, follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. For even more gardening tips and tales, join our Facebook community, AMA Good to Grow.